This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, uh, Lord, again asking tonight uh, for your direction here, for your uh, enablement. We pray, Lord, as always, when we open your word, uh, that you grant understanding. We're dependent upon you, Lord, in all things that we do. And Lord, uh, how much more is that true when we uh, make an effort to grasp truth? So we pray, Lord, uh, that You uh, bless here and enable me to speak uh, the message You would have delivered and enable all of us to hear and enable all of us to apply these things to our lives. We're here to uh, uh, not just to uh, contemplate uh, You and Your kingdom, but to live out the reality of it in this world. So we pray, Lord, empower us. Fill us with Your Spirit so that we may do just that. I ask again that You enable me to speak for the edification of Your people, uh, salvation of sinners, and Lord, uh, for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to... Go back through the same verses that we looked at this morning, um, except just a little little slower here instead of reading the whole passage and uh, kind of summarizing it. I, I want to I want to go back and and deal with a few uh, people here. And there's I, of course the main focus here and the main uh, topic uh, for for Matthew and for us and for hopefully uh, Lord willing for. Uh, what I'm, I'm going to be talking about here is Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Matthew, Matthew's giving us, uh, as we said this morning, information about the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is. Not just a man, not just another prophet, uh, not just another rabbi, but the very Christ, the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus is certainly uh, the, the main feature. He's, he's the, the main event here. Uh, but we're going to look at a few other uh, of his ancestors uh, in this in, in the flesh in this in this line. Um, and you might think of it in terms of uh, uh, you know I was thinking about a, a, a title. You, I, I would title it this: Skeletons and Heroes. Um, I uh, like probably most of us here. You know, when I was when I was growing up, my dad was my hero. You know, he was a police officer and all that kind of thing. And so in my eyes, uh, you know, just about as big as they as, as they came. Uh, and, and then, you know, I can think of others down the line. I like to hear stories about my my grandfather, uh, one that I knew who, of course, I loved dearly. Uh, the other one I like to hear about, and one reason I like to hear about him is because I never knew him. Uh, he died in, uh, my mother's father died in 1950. And so it was before I came along, and uh, you know, just like to hear stories. He was a, he was a great man in my mind, and he was a uh, uh, 
had a little general store, and he was the postmaster. Uh, it's kind of like uh, some of these old, old, old TV shows you see. You know, he had the little store with supplies and, and uh, food, a little bit of food and candy and stuff, and and uh, and and he was the the post office. He was the postmaster. Had had gas pumps, and and then my my grandfather on my father's side was a uh, was a Baptist pastor, pastored churches around uh, North Louisiana, uh, more more out in the woods for the most part. I mean, Castor, Hall Summit, and then up around uh, Bernice and areas like that. And I knew him, and you know, thought the world of of him. Although I was fairly young, I was a teenager when he died. And then I was telling Brother Ron uh, a couple weeks back, um, my, my sister has been doing a great job of digging into our ancestry. Uh, we, we have had information for years that came from other people who would uh, do work on the rain bolts, and, you know, you get it however somebody passes it on to you. But it was people we didn't even know doing the work. And she, she started, I guess, with some of that stuff, but she just, she just managed to go back even further and done a great job. But she dug some information up a couple of weeks ago. She sent me an email. And uh, one of our, I forget how many greats to put in front here, but, <laughs> you know, grandfathers, great-great-great-grandfather, Rainbolts, uh, joined the uh, Kentucky Infantry in, in uh, uh, I think it was called the Infantry, in, in 1863, I think it was. And just a few days later, I mean, he had a career of like four days, and he uh, he deserted. <laughs> and, and they caught him, and he went to he 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 was in jail. They he actually signed up, believe it or not, you know, because thinking about Joshua, he actually joined in Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky, signed up. She's got the documentation. She sent it to me, you know, copies of it. Pretty fascinating. 1863, and uh, four days later, when they were on a march to Lebanon, Kentucky, um, I guess he went to the restroom and didn't find his way back. I don't know, but they they found him later. And uh, that the next piece of document she had was a record of his incarceration. So, which you know I thought was merciful. But a lot of times back then they would just shoot him. So, uh, so that might be kind of a I mean, unless he had really good reason, <laughs> that, might, that might be kind of a skeleton in the closet there. And then on my mother's side, I remember years ago, same thing, but, but it was during the Revolutionary War. One of, one of our ancestors uh, skipped out. I'm sure it's because he was an American patriot, and, and he maybe, you know, he's probably on the British side and became an American patriot or something like that. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all of us have those kinds of stories, you know, that we... Skeletons in the closet. And the heroes. No, not, not that I know of. We, no uh, genuine outlaws. Just, uh, <laughs> just deserters. But uh, no, uh, it, it, it's just fascinating that the Lord of glory... Well, first of all, it's fascinating that He would... Take on the form of a man. You, you know, you read that, and for example, in, uh, in well, in, in John one, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or Philippians two says he he emptied himself. He was in the form of God. Philippians two, Paul says in Philippians two, 
And he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. That is, he became a man. He became a, a human being. He was born of a woman. He was born, and not conceived the same way that you and I were, but born the same way that you and I were. He took on flesh, became flesh. And in the fullness of time, you know, he was born of a, of a woman, of the seed of Abraham, born under the law. He was a Jew. And so, as, as a Jew, as a human being, as a Jew, he had an ancestry. So, it's fascinating enough to, to even think in terms of the Lord, Creator, becoming a man. And then you look here at the, the people that he identifies with. And it's, it's, it's very comforting, I think, should be very comforting for us, um, because he, he, he became like his brethren. Remember the writer of Hebrews? Um, in Hebrews, the Jews. He became a Jew in the flesh. And so he has a literal ancestry. Now, let me say this. This genealogy that we have in Matthew is the lineage of, jo- of Joseph, which was not the biological father of Jesus. But nevertheless, for all intents and purposes, um, uh, everybody supposing that Joseph was his father, uh, then, uh, because obviously the people around didn't know about the, the virgin birth and so forth, but them supposing that Joseph was his father, um, in that sense, this is his lineage as well. Now, it's, it is thought that, and this is one reason I mention that, because if you go to Luke 3 and you look at the genealogy presented in Luke 3, it differs. And so it is thought that uh, Luke is giving us the genealogy of Mary. And there, instead of saying begot, 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 you know, like, you know, uh, uh, Abraham begot Jacob or something like that, or Isaac rather, or something like that, it's, it's in the reverse. It would say Isaac was the son of Abraham. Say, well, what's, what's the difference? Well, just, just that, sometimes you could be called the son of and not actually be directly generated by that person. Um, so, in other words, if we're, when it says, and, and let me turn there just for a moment, Luke chapter 3. Alright, so for example, at the beginning of the genealogy, look in verse 23, Luke 3.23. Now Jesus Himself began His ministry at about 30 years of age, being, and notice the parentheses here that Luke adds, as was supposed the son of Joseph. Because Luke knows He was not the biological son of Joseph. But as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. In other words, Joseph, the son of Heli, right? 
And you look back over in Matthew 1.15, it says, uh, Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathon, or Mathon, and Mathon begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph. Not, not Heli, but Jacob begot Joseph. Um, well, it's possible that he had two names, right? He was known as, as Jacob, and he, the father of Joseph was known as Jacob, and that he was known as Heli, or that's some other name for him. But what is most widely uh, believed is that, again, in Luke, you have the genealogy of Mary. So when it says, Joseph is the son of Heli, Literally, he's his son-in-law. But it's not uncommon, was not uncommon for them to use that kind of terminology. He's it's the son-in-law, but he's called the son of. So if that theory is correct, then again, what you have in Matthew is the lineage of Joseph. What you have in Luke is the lineage of Mary. And, of course... Both of them, like we talked about this morning, the necessary criteria. Both of them have the necessary criteria for Jesus um, to be Messiah. And I want to look again in Matthew and just point out a few of the skeletons (laughs) and heroes here that Jesus has, in a sense, aligned Himself with. Now, it's true, he He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew no sin. He had no, no indwelling sin. He didn't inherit sin from His Father. His Father, again, was not Joseph. His Father is God. He didn't inherit sin. But still, from a human standpoint, through Joseph, in an, in an adopted sense, and through Mary, in a biological sense, these are His ancestors. Let's read down through some of this. The book, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We'll come back to David in a moment. And by the way, these are obviously heroes, right? (laughs) David, Abraham, and both necessary to fulfill uh, the requirements to be Messiah. He had to be a descendant of Abraham. In other words, he had to be a Jew. Had to be a Jew to be a uh, uh, to be Messiah, and he had to be a descendant of David, a direct descendant of David, in order to inherit the throne, to sit on and reign on the throne of David in the messianic kingdom. So he's a descendant of, of Abraham and a descendant of David, and both of those are certainly heroes of the family, heroes of the faith. In fact, Abraham is thought of as being the father of the faith. I mean, Abraham, when he was called out of Ur, he went, packed up, went at at the uh, command of God, not even knowing where he was going. And when God made the promises to Abraham concerning his seed, which incidentally is fulfilled in Christ, and how he would bless the nations through uh, Abraham's seed, the Scripture tells us he believed God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, as righteousness. That's righteousness by faith. Way back in Genesis. That's, that's not a new concept in, when you get to the New Testament. It's, it's, 
it's uh, uh, kind of unpacked, it's opened up in a, in a more um, revealing way so that we, uh, we have a better grasp of it than, than uh, many of them did in the Old Testament. Uh, there's, there's more light on it, probably the way I should say it, in the New Testament. But uh, that's always been the way of salvation. By grace, through faith. And Abraham was a man of faith. And when the Jews who hated Jesus claimed to be the children of Abraham, he said, oh no, oh no, because if you were the children of Abraham, you'd act like Abraham. And you wouldn't hate me. You would love me. Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then there's David, the greatest king Israel ever had. He's definitely, too, a hero of the faith. I mean, in every sense of the word. This, this man, he becomes a famous warrior when he was probably still in his teens. He was just a young Young man, too young to be in battle. That's why they left him at home tending the sheep. This is man's job. You know, you stay here and feed the sheep and we'll handle this. And the only reason he wound up out there is because his father sent him to check on his older brothers, see how they're doing. And he gets out there and he sees Goliath, this giant, mocking the armies of the living God. And David also being a, a man of faith, albeit a, a young man, who was a man of faith, was just uh, astounded, flabbergasted that this, this one man could stand there and mock Israel, the army, armies of the living God, and nobody was doing anything about it. And so he, he said, I'll take him on, you know, let, let me add him. And he went to King Saul and said, you know, let me, let me, I'm paraphrasing, but I mean, he said, let, let me shut this guy's mouth. You know, he's, he's defying the armies of the living God. And Saul suited him up with his armor, and Saul was a big man. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but here's, here's Goliath, you know, saying, send out the biggest and the baddest among you. And he's issuing that challenge every day. Send out the biggest and the baddest among you. And we'll fight one-on-one. And if he kills me, then the Philistines will serve you. And if I kill him, then you, the people of Israel, will be servants to the Philistines. And the Scripture tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above all of Israel. He was a big man. He was a big man. And he wasn't stepping out there. (laughs) I imagine probably the first time Goliath issued that challenge, everybody probably turned to Saul and went like that. Okay, uh, King, that's you. Uh, I mean, he'd already been successful in battle. But he wasn't interested in taking on Goliath. And then here comes this, this young boy, and he says, I'll take him. So Saul suits him up with his armor. And David says, can't do it, you know, doesn't fit, can't go with these. And he just grabs his sling, stops at a brook, picks up five smooth stones. I don't know why, because he only needed one. But he, but he picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his bag, shepherd's bag, and he walks out there face to face with Goliath and uh, says a few things to make him even matter, and, and then charges him. When anybody else would have run away, 
The Scripture says David ran toward him. And as he was running, wound his sling up and released the stone. And you know the story. Killed Goliath. He was a famous man just as a young boy. And then he went on to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was a hero, no doubt. No doubt. So, verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac, another hero. Isaac begot Jacob, another hero, although he was, like many of them, had questionable character, didn't he? Jacob, uh, he, he was kind of sly. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now this is, uh, remember, Jacob's name was, was changed to what? Israel, that's right. Jacob's name was changed to uh, Israel. And uh, he, he's the one that, that fathered the, the twelve, that we, we know as the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. So, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. The reason it mentions Judah here is because it's tracing that line. The Messiah has to come through Judah, which is where the word Jew originally comes from. Although now, now when we say Jew, we're meaning Israelite, basically. But originally, um, uh, it would have been someone of the tribe of Judah. And the Messiah had to be of the tribe of Judah. So that's why uh, Matthew's tracing that line here instead of mentioning all 12 of the uh, fathers of the tribes there. So Jacob begot Judah and, and his brothers. And Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That is an interesting story in itself. Judah had uh, three sons. The eldest, Ur, um, E-R, Ur, married Tamar. But he was, the Scripture tells us, he was wicked, evil in the sight of the Lord, and God killed him. God killed Ur. And so, you know, the custom was that actually... Uh, uh, well, the Lord told him to do this. When, when somebody's, like when a, a woman's husband died and they were childless, then his brother, one of his brothers would, would uh, marry her so he could raise up seed, raise up children to his dead brother in the name of his dead brother. So God killed Ur. And then Judah gave Onan to Tamar. Onan had a big generator company. He was wealthy. Some of you get that. Some of you don't. But anyway. <laughs> but Onan was evil just like his brother and uh, didn't want to fulfill the responsibility uh, that he was assigned to fulfill. And God killed Onan. And Judah had a third son named Shelah. But he was too young to give to Tamar. So Judah told Tamar, you go back and dwell in your father's house until Shelah is full grown, and then I'll give him to you 
and he can marry you and raise up children in the name of his brothers. The only thing is, when Sheila was grown, he, Judah didn't keep his word. He never did give him to Tamar. And then, on a uh, trip to uh, shear his sheep, Tamar found out where he was at. All this time, I don't know how, it doesn't tell us how many years, but all this time she's been living in her father's house as a widow, waiting for this young man to get old enough to marry her. She knows now he's old enough and Judah's not giving him uh, to her to marry. So she hears that her father-in-law is uh, in this certain town to have his sheep sheared, and she goes up there and poses as a prostitute and makes a deal with him. He, you know, he sees her on the side of the road, doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know that it's his daughter-in-law. And uh, he hires her. And she tells, you know, he says, what, what's the price? And, and uh, he tells her what he will, what he will do for her, send, send her a goat and, you know, this and that kind of thing. And she says, well, until I get it, uh, I, I need something for security. So he gave her his staff and his signet uh, ring, I think it was. And uh, they had, you know, their rendezvous. And he left. Later he sends her the goat by a friend. You know, this is her payment. The friend goes up to the same little town, starts asking, where's the prostitute that was out here? And everybody says, there's never been a prostitute out here. We don't know anything about that. So he comes back and tells Judah, there's no, I couldn't find her. And, and the people say there, there, there hasn't, there's never been a prostitute out there. And he basically says, oh, well, you know, I tried to pay her. I tried to fulfill my, my part of the deal. And, uh, oh, well. Then later, he gets word that his daughter-in-law, who is a widow, right? She's had two husbands, died. And later, he gets word that she's pregnant. She's played the harlot, King James says. And he says, bring her out and burn her. And so they they bring her out to burn her, alive, presumably, and... She says, she says, first I have a question before you kill me. Whose staff is this? And whose signet ring is this? And Judah saw that it was his, and he knew then what had happened. That's kind of a long story, but what came out of that one night stand, if you will, verse 2, Perez... And Zerah, two more boys. And Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. So, you see, this is right in the lineage of our Lord, the Messiah. In verse 4, And Ram begot Amenadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. 
by Rahab. Now, Boaz, he's, he's a hero, right? Boaz, uh, honorable man. We don't know anything really about his father except that he was married to Rahab. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Well, who's Rahab? Why, why would it mention this woman? Here's another one already mentioned. Um, so it must be somebody we're supposed to know, right? Instead of just saying Solomon, Solomon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Well, Rahab was another prostitute. Remember when the spies were going in to take, uh, to spy out the land of Israel? Before Israel, in, uh, what would become the land of Israel, uh, when the spies went in to, to spy out the land there, the land of Canaan, uh, before the Israelis in, invaded, Israelites invaded, Rahab was a prostitute who lived right on the city wall and she helped them. She helped them because she had heard about the Israelites and she feared God. She knew. She knew that they were going to destroy Jericho. And so she, she hid the spies and helped them escape. And they had promised her, uh, if you help us, you help us escape safely, then when we invade the city, we'll see to it that you and everybody in your household, you know, literally in your household, they had to be inside these walls, you and everybody in your household um, will let them live. And so she kept her part of the bargain. She hid them, uh, made sure they escaped the city safely. And when they invaded and destroyed the cities and the wall, they made sure that she survived. And at some point, Salmon and Rahab, uh, again, presumably were married and and, uh, resulted in the birth of Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed, by Ruth. Now we got two heroes here, Boaz and Ruth. It's it's hard to find. Uh, uh, you know, oh, the Bible the Bible doesn't the Bible's honest and it doesn't hide flaws, but there are some people that stand out with just in, incredible integrity. People like uh, Joseph, for example, or Daniel. You know, Daniel's and and Joseph. Joseph and Daniel. Uh, Couple of the ones you, you no doubt they, they had flaws because we're all sinners, but they don't, but none were recorded. You know, we look at their lives as recorded in the scripture and it's just, it's just a clean slate. They, they just had hearts for the Lord. Well, it's like this with Boaz and Ruth. They were just, uh, honorable people, people of integrity. Boaz and, and, uh, again, you probably know the story. Ruth uh, loses her husband. She leaves uh, her country with her mother-in-law who lost her husband and comes back to the land of Israel. And she's living as a widow with her mother-in-law who is a widow. Her, mother's a, her mother-in-law is an Israelite. She didn't want to forsake her, so she stays with her and they're living both as widows. And she winds up marrying Boaz, who is a very wealthy uh, uh, a man who, who uh, had helped her out. And, and they wind, she winds up 
he winds up taking her as wife because he is a near kinsman to her, uh, her husband, her former husband. But here's, here's the glitch, so to speak. Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. A Gentile. Rahab was a Gentile. It's amazing, isn't it? In, in the ancestry of our Lord. Skeletons. At least, that's the way we would commonly, of course, we're not going to refer to them as that because we know, we know this is the Lord's doing. This is providence. But in our own family, that's what we would tend to do, isn't it? A prostitute in the line, you might not want to talk about that. Somebody of a total different nationality in the line, you might not want to talk about that. I make fun of the French all the time, and I've, I've got them in my blood, so I mean, I, maybe, maybe that gives me some kind of right to do that. Huh? <laughs> so Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. Verse 6, Jesse begot David the king. Again, definitely a hero. Flawless? Flawless? No. No, not, e- not even close, right? In fact, let's read on a little bit. Je- verse 6, Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot so- Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon... Also, one of the greatest kings of Israel, second only to his father, David. Solomon was the product of an adulterous relationship. Solomon was produced when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And notice, by the way, and I think this is, again, fascinating. Uh, Maybe I'm overusing that word, but... It really does fascinate me. Notice here that it does not say David the king begot Solomon by Bathsheba. That would be a true statement because Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. But the author here, the Holy Spirit through Matthew here, is making a point of emphasizing or pointing out the fact that it was due to an adulterous relationship. So, he doesn't say David, David fathered Solomon by Bathsheba. He says David fathered Solomon by her who was the wife of Uriah, who, by the way, was a just man. Uriah the Hittite. He was a man of integrity. At that particular point in his life, David didn't show much integrity. Committed adultery with Bathsheba. Tried to hide it. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was at war. Interestingly, if you you go back and read the account, you'll see that it starts out by saying, at the time when kings go to war. 
Where was David? In the palace. David the king, at the time when kings go to war, David the king was chilling, as we say. (laughs) In the palace. And from a distance, he sees Bathsheba bathing on a housetop. Obviously a beautiful uh, young lady. And he's the king, right? So he sends for her and brings her to the palace. And she conceives. And after a period of time, she makes it known to him that she's pregnant. So then he immediately orders gives orders that her husband be brought home. The, so, you know, they can have, you can have a weekend off, weekend R&R. Um, you know, he's off in battle. Uriah's off in battle, so David sends for him. Let's get him home. The idea is, if I can get the two of them together, um, then everybody will just think he's the father. So David tries to hide it that way. But the problem is, Uriah was a man of integrity. And he came back and reported to the king like he's supposed to. He doesn't know anything about all that that's going on. He just knows that the king has sent for him and he asked, how are things going in the battle? You know? And so Uriah's probably wondering, well, why is he sending for me? You know, he's never sent for me before. But he gives the report and then David says, look, uh, he, he, he puts the smooths on him. He says, look, you go home, be with your wife, take a couple of days off before you go back. And Uriah says, oh, far be it from me. All my buddies are out there in the field. The battle's raging. And they're sleeping on the ground. He says, I'm not going to go and sleep in the comforts of my home while they're suffering out there. So David tried to get him drunk and send him home. And even that didn't work. He still wouldn't go. And so David finally, when he saw that none of that was going to work, sent him back to the front with a note for his superior. He carried it himself. Had a note for his superior. David says, here, give this to, to uh, uh, I think it was Joab at the time, with orders to put him on the front, at the very front, close to the wall, so that he'll get killed. And he carried his own descendants back to his superior officer. And that's what they did, and he was killed in battle. And then David married Bathsheba. Problem solved, right? Until Nathan the prophet came on the scene. Told David a little parable, which I'm also going to paraphrase, but he essentially said, look, there, there, there's a man, uh, and he... And he he told this as if it were true. You know, that I'm telling you about something going on in the kingdom here. There was a man who had one little lamb that he raised up, loved it as though it were a child. And one of his neighbors who had flocks of sheep had a traveler come through and needed to feed the man. And instead of taking one of his own lambs that he, you know, he had probably had hundreds of them. Instead of taking one of his own, he sent and took that one little ewe lamb from that man who had only one, and it was like his child. Took that man's lamb, slaughtered it, and fed it to his 
traveling friend to his company. And David was furious. Now, he's the king. He, he gets to pronounce judgment when things like that happen. When somebody is wronged like that. And he was furious. And he said, as the Lord lives, he shall surely die. I mean, he, he pronounced the death penalty on this man for taking the other man's one little precious lamb. And Nathan the prophet said, you're the man. You're the man. And yet, today, one of, and at this time as well and before, one of the titles for the Messiah is Son of David. You know why? Because in spite of places like that, periods like that in his life, uh, that one in particular, in spite of that, God's testimony of David was he's a man after God's own heart. And he promised him an eternal kingdom. He said, your seed is going to sit on your throne forever. Son of David. Verse 7, Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. And Abijah begot Asa. Well, we don't, time won't allow us to go through a lot of these, but Asa was another hero of the faith, at least till the very end of his life. But uh, again, the, the testimony of him in the Scripture is, is that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And verse 8, Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's a great character. Love the Lord. Faithful. And he's got a fun name. Jehoshaphat. Wouldn't you like to name your son Jehoshaphat? <laughs> Jehoshaphat. And he, he, loved, he did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Joram begot Uzziah, another, another hero. He reigned, Uzziah reigned over Israel for, I think it was 50 years. That's why it was so devastating. You, you go and you read Isaiah 6 and it says, In the year King Uzziah died, the country was devastated at the death of Uzziah because he had reigned for 50 years and was beloved. A hero. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah, another great king. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the worst. He's definitely a skeleton in the closet. Evil to the core. Probably uh, only rivaled by Ahab uh, in Israel. But Hezekiah, verse 10, Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. And Ammon begot Josiah. Great revival there in the time of Josiah. And Josiah is one of the ones I love. I love his story because of the uh, the revival that happened during that time. The, the priest, 
The Levites are cleaning out the temple, trying to at, at his orders, trying to get things somewhat restored because the people had turned to idolatry and the temple was in ruins and the priesthood wasn't, you know, weren't fulfilling their ministry. And so they're in there cleaning up and trying to get things in order. And it was one of those eureka moments. They found the book of the law. Can you imagine that? God's own people. And when God met face to face with Moses on Mount Sinai, He gave him the law. And this is, this is my revelation to the people and for the people, and this is how they'll be governed. And they just, well, more than once, they just, they just brushed it aside and, didn't see the need for it or the importance in it. So it just literally in the temple apparently had just been lost, just been mis- misplaced. And the priests found it and they went and they told Josiah and he ordered that it, he read it and he wept and then he ordered that it be read. I mean, he realized we're not living according to God's will. And so he started implementing the right, uh, well, the prescribed worship. As, as, as prescribed by the law. And there was revival for a time, uh, just prior to the time of Haggai that we just talked about. So Josiah was a great, a great, uh, character, a hero, definitely. And by the way, that's, that's one of the things we need, still need the most today. It's like, get back, find the Bible. Find the Bible. Get back to the Bible. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, verse 10. Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, verse 11. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Um, these were uh, not good uh, leaders, kings. And verse 12, after that they were brought to Babylon. Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Remember reading about Zerubbabel when, while we were in Haggai? Uh, he was the governor uh, when, they, when they went back to uh, rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And so, he again, definitely a, a, a hero here. Zerubbabel begot Abud, and Abud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azar. Azar begot Zadok, the, high, the priest. Zadok begot Achim, Achim, Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Methan, Methan begot Jacob, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, and definitely another hero and man of integrity. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that we know so little about Joseph, uh, but uh, we, don't, we don't even know how his life ended. Uh, he, he just drops off the scene. But the little that we do know, we're going to see here in Matthew, and you can read in the other accounts, um, he was obviously a man who feared God and a man of integrity. Joseph, supposed, as Luke says, who was supposed or thought to be the father of Jesus. So, Methon um, begot Jacob, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary who was born of whom was born Jesus, who is called 
the Christ. And all of these people, and, and some of them you look at, and, and you can say, well, yeah, I mean, I can, David, Hezekiah, um, Uzziah, maybe, although he did, he messed up too. Um, but some of them you look at, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, yeah, they look like they belong in this line. And then you see Manasseh, Rahab, Ruth, as great a person as she was, she was still a Moabite. So some of those you look at, and and even ones like Uzziah and David, who had these major uh, disappointments, for lack of a better term there, major sin in their life. And you think, what in the world are they doing in the line of the Messiah? But here's the bottom line. And this is going to be one of the things that I think Matthew's going to drive home. As, as I said earlier, the, the, the Bible's very honest. Doesn't, doesn't try to hide the blemishes. Doesn't try to hide the black sheep. Because that's part of the message. Look, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. What, what hope would there be for you and I if, if everybody in this line was flawless? I mean, we'd look back on it and say, oh my goodness. These, these are the kind of people that, that Jesus has to do with. They have no sin. But that's not the case, is it? We, we look at this line and it's, it's filled with sinners. That Jesus, Son of God in flesh, was willing to identify Himself with. Paul says in Timothy, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came in the flesh to identify with us so that He could ultimately save us. He didn't... Don't think of it... Well, in a sense, yes, He was, he was coming to our level. He became a man, but He didn't become a sinner. He became a man came down to our level, so to speak, as a man, so that we, He could lift us up out of our predicament. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to identify with sinners. Because the end result is going to be our cleansing. It's like we talked about in Haggai. Usually what happens, right, is the unclean touches the clean, the clean is defiled. But in this case, the Messiah, the clean, touches the unclean. And the result is, the unclean is cleansed. That's our hope. Christ. Christ came into the world to save sinners. People like Manasseh. People like David. I don't know that Manasseh was ever saved, but I know he was a sinner. People like Abraham, 
Jacob, Isaac, Hezekiah, Zerubbabel, Ron, Bob, <laughs> Sheila, Jackie, me, Leslie. We're all sinners. And He came for us. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for Your Word and for these precious truths. <clears throat> if it were the other way around, if, if we were required to uh, reach out to You, there would be no hope for any of us. We'd all perish. Because our efforts would, uh, would probably not exist in the first place. And if we did make some kind of effort, it would certainly be fruitless. We have no righteousness. We have nothing to offer. But You sent Your only Son being in the form of God, emptied Himself, took on the form of a servant to rescue us from our, from our plight, from our sin. That's our hope. It's all centered in what You have done for us in the work of Christ. Lord, help us to be mindful of that uh, as we partake tonight of the Lord's Supper. It is set before us and observed by us for this reason, that we may do it in remembrance of Jesus, of what He's done in our behalf. His life, His death, His resurrection, ongoing intercession for us. It is a way of proclaiming His death until He comes. So Lord, may we partake with true gratitude for the grace of uh, extended to us. We ask You now, Father, to bless the bread and the juice. And Lord, help us to focus. Spend these next few moments meditating on Your great mercy, grace, as we give You thanks. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.